Well, today we're going to wrap up our 3D series, and uh, it's been a fun series, and, and quite honestly, what we've attempted to do over the last three weeks is to give you a toolbox and, and a simple strategy for personal evangelism. That's what we've done, and, and the strategy is not supposed to be strange or awkward. It's supposed to be something that's natural and, and normal for you, and uh, we've given you a couple of hooks, uh, three actually, every year that we call a Harvest Sunday, and next Sunday is one of those Sundays. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. We do that. We do it on Fall Free For All, which you heard talked about a moment ago, Halloween Sunday, and then we do it on the birthday of the church, and so three Sundays a year, we've just decided to say, hey, we're going to call that Sunday, a Harvest Sunday or a Gospel Sunday, and we're going to share the gospel clearly, very, very clearly, and we're praying that we'll watch a lot of people come to know Christ and, and to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I'm praying that this week, as you've been investing and you've been inviting, that people will come with you, and, and next week we'll see incredible things happen. So let me just remind you of the three Ds we've been talking about in this series. On week one, we said you develop friendships. Uh, on week two, last week, we said you discover their story. And, and then week three, which we're on today, we're talking about discerning their next steps. And, and so that's what I want to talk about today, because this is all about sharing Jesus with people who are far from Jesus. And I just want to remind you today that no one is, is as far away from Jesus or any further away from Jesus than they are from you because you're a God carrier, right? And, and you're a child of God. And as you go out into the world, you go with the presence of Jesus on you. And when they see you and when they talk to you and when they become friends with you, that they should be getting closer and closer and closer to Jesus Christ. And so let me remind you of one of the verses that I read to you last week out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, where Paul said that I become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. Now, that, what that does not mean is that we relax our convictions. What, what that does not mean is that we become Muslim in order to reach Muslims, or we become Buddhist in order to reach Buddhist, or, or we become non-Christian in order to reach non-Christians. That's not what that means. What that means is that somehow we embrace how God created us. And we embrace our own personal style of evangelism. Maybe it's conversational, maybe it's relational, maybe it's confrontational, uh, whatever style it is that God knit within you. But it also means that you're embracing the other person and you're extending grace to them. And not just grace, but grace on top of grace, on top of grace. And if you have received grace, you should do all you can in order to share or spread grace. And if you've received a lot of grace, you should show a lot of grace. And if you've received grace in abundance or you've received amazing grace, if God has poured his grace out on you, then you should look for ways to share his grace with people around you. And so when we talk about spreading grace around, how does that work and what does that look like? How, how does does that play out? Well, it's this outline that I've given you. We start, first of all, by developing friendships. It requires you getting up and walking across the room or across the field or across the court or across the cubicle or across the office in order to uh, start a conversation with someone. You're developing a friendship. It takes seeing them as somebody God loves. It takes seeing inside of them who they are and what God sees as valuable in them. And then you get to the place where you now discover their stories. And we find out their stories. We find 
find out where they've been, where they are now, and, and where they're going. And we match that with our own story, who we were before we came to know Christ, how we came to know Christ, and what our life looks like now that we know Jesus Christ. And we're laying our story on top of their story. And in the midst of this whole process, we hit this moment and we come to this moment, which, which we view as just supernatural, right? That we've been discovering uh, or developing friendships and discovering stories. What I want you to know is that whole time, God has been at work. Behind the scenes, in the background, he's been doing his thing. We get to the point where we become aware of the Holy Spirit's presence, but I want you to know he's been present all all along. And and we get the sense at that moment that there's something supernatural about to happen and your spidey sense is kind of out there, right? Not in some sinister, freaky way, not like strange things, but but, but in a comfortable way, in in a normal, natural way to you. And it's exciting and calming, but but it's also joyful and, and peaceful. And when the Spirit shows up, He comes with his fruit, right? He comes with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He comes with those things, and and, and he comes bearing those things. That's his very nature. And and I want you to hear today, the Holy Spirit's not weird. He's not bizarre, but he is comforting. And when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit of God, you will be in tune with the nature of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is our friend, and the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And his presence is this normal, natural thing for those of us who practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want you to see today, as we talk about and wrap up this strategy about telling others about Jesus and inviting them here to a place where they can come to know Christ, It is the Holy Spirit of God that will help you discern how and when and what to say. The Holy Spirit will do that. And I hope that takes pressure off of you today. In fact, Luke tells us in chapter 12, verse 12 of the Gospel of Luke, that the Holy Spirit will teach you the right thing to say at the right time. Right? Isn't that so comforting that the Holy Spirit will come along when we're engaged in this process and he will teach us the right thing to say at the right time. So when you practice the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will be in tune with the Holy Spirit and you'll be in tune uh, with his nature and you'll be full of love, right? And you'll be full of joy and you'll be full of peace. And those things are incredibly infectious, but it's not just that. According to Luke, you will be full of wise words to say. You'll be full of the right words to say at the right time, and you will have the boldness to say them because of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God on your life. And so that's the very definition of what we're talking about today, discernment that you would have discernment. And when you've involved yourself in someone's life as a friend and you've invested in their life to the point that you're now discovering their stories, then you are ready to begin discerning what their next step happens to be. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that will help you see that and will help you discern that. And this is about you receiving the words from him and being able to share those words as help to someone, as an invitation to someone, to help them on their journey with Christ, to help them find Jesus, maybe for the very first time and to help them be bold enough to to take a step of faith to help them clearly understand what it is that God wants from them and what it is that God wants for them. And so when we talk about discerning someone's next steps, we need to define the the phrase next steps, okay? And so uh, I just want to give you a definition of next step. Here it is. It's profound. A next step is one that follows this step. 
Write that down. Okay, write that down. That, that the next step is the one that follows this step. Is it profound? Right? I don't see any of you writing this down today. That, that a, a next step is the one that follows the current step, right? And, and, and you hear that. In fact, speaking of that, let me just take a poll of all of our, our churches today. Every campus, I want you to participate. If I were to say to you, we're going to have lunch next Monday. How many of you view that as you and I are going to have lunch tomorrow? Raise your hand. Right? Okay. Some of you do. How many of you view that as we're going to have lunch a week from tomorrow? Raise your hand. I don't know how it played out at the other campus, but it's overwhelmingly at the Battle Creek campus that it's a week from next Monday, right? Because when we say next, we we mean the next one, and it gets confusing in our minds. In fact, the only assignment I ever missed uh, from probably high school all the way through a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degree, there was one uh, assignment in a personal evangelism class with a professor who was one of my favorites. In fact, he became one of my mentors, and and we did small group together for years and years, and, and he was teaching this class on this subject called personal evangelism. And he, ass- he made an assignment on a Tuesday, and he said, this paper is due next Thursday. He told us that on a Tuesday. It's due next Thursday. Now, some of you know my personality. I am anal retentive. I don't miss assignments. I don't miss deadlines. I'm going to do what I said I would do, and I'm going to do it when I said I would do it, and I'm going to do it right when I do it. A little bit of legalism playing in this heart right here. And, and so I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done right. Well, in this process, he made this assignment on Tuesday and said this paper's due next Thursday. We show up two days later, and he says, please turn your paper in. To which I said, what paper? And he said, this one. I said, no, that's not due till next Thursday. He said, this is next Thursday. And, and I said, no, you said next Thursday. That means a week from today this paper is due. He said, I meant the next Thursday. To, to which I said, no, next Thursday means a week from this coming Thursday. You just say it's due Thursday on Tuesday. If you mean it's due two days from now, you don't say next Thursday, to which we had a running gun joke for years because uh, we would be driving down the road uh, to going to somewhere to speak, and he would say, so if Alex, if I tell you to get off at the next exit, I, I don't mean this one. I mean the one after this one. And, and so we had this running gun game going, and we get confused about it, right? Just, we get, just like we get confused about what next Thursday happens to be, sometimes we get confused about our next step, which just bears to show that we would get confused about somebody else's next step. But here's the monumental truth I want you to see today. You can't take your next step until you take the current one. You you can't take your next step until you take the current one. In other words, you can't skip one. You can't get them out of order. You can't take one early, right? I've got a 13-year-old boy who on a regular basis, he's a pretty good athlete. He'll say to me, hey, do you think I could play soccer in college? Like, hey, let's let's just worry about this seventh grade game today right? Or do you think I could run track in the Olympics? He's asked me that question a few times recently. Do you think I could run track in the Olympics? He's setting uh, kind of statewide times. And I, I said, I, I don't know. If you can, let's just help the team this week, right? Let's take care of seventh grade track. Let, you know, let's beat some eighth graders and, and, and let's take one step at a time. And, and that's the point. You cannot take a step out of order. And so let me just help you today understand what we're talking about when we talk about next steps. I've shown you this illustration before. When, when, when I, sometimes I'll draw this on a napkin for somebody when I'm trying to help them come to Christ and help them understand their need for salvation. It's got me and you over here on the left, man, right? You could write their name in it. And God's over here. And the problem is what we call sin in the middle. And we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, according to Scripture, right? And so there's this chasm between us and God. We can't get there. It would be like jumping the the Grand Canyon. We can't do it. And so what God did is he sent his son 
to cross the great divide, right? And the cross happens to be the bridge that gets us from one side to the other side. And there is this moment right in the middle of that thing where I use the phrase crossing the faith line. You hear me use that phrase all the time. That's what I'm talking about is that moment, right? And that's the moment that we all get excited about, that we get anxious for, that we're hoping for, that we're looking for, that we're praying for, right? And, and there, that, we get to watch that moment around here all the time. It's pretty exciting to watch. I, a, lot, a couple of weeks ago, I told you a story about... Uh, one of my former students when I was a youth pastor, who's now a pastor, named Nick, one of his buddies named Drew is also a pastor today. And, and Drew pastors in Florida, and, but Drew was probably 15 years old, and he showed up on Wednesday night at our youth service with a couple of guests, with a couple of buddies. And, and when he showed up with his buddies, it was before the service. I was playing ping pong. In fact, back then, I was pretty good at ping pong. And so the kids that were good at ping pong would line up for me to spank them at, at, at ping pong. And it was this running game, uh, you know, for them to come in. And so I was beating one boy after another. Now it was Drew and his friend's turn to get whipped because I'm a mercy-filled youth pastor. And, and, and in that place, I'm talking while we're playing, and this kid ends up being pretty good. So the game goes longer. We end up having a conversation, and it ends up going to the gospel. I didn't plan that. It just happened, right? In fact, in my mind, there's an order of service. This is not supposed to happen until the service, right? This is the service hadn't even started. We're just playing ping pong, but yet the conversation led itself to the gospel where Drew and I realized this kid's ready to give his life to Jesus Christ. The moment is about to happen for him. And so because I lead people to Christ all the time because I'm trying to teach people and develop people, I look at Drew and said, he's your buddy. You brought him. You lead him to Christ. And so Drew said, okay, and he bowed his head, and he led this buddy in a prayer. And it was really, really, really awkward because Drew could not think of what to say at that moment. And he got really, really nervous in that moment. And I'm looking up going, oh, this is awful, right? And, 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 but, but, we, but we got there, okay? The point is we got there. And what I want you to hear is there, there's no prayer in Scripture. I can't find this prayer in Scripture, so we don't need to get all this anxious about this prayer. In fact, because of that moment in the service, like 30 minutes later, when I got ready to give the invitation at the end of the service, I prayed the same prayer that I prayed today. And Drew stands up in the middle of the youth congregation, and he holds up this digital recorder, and he records the prayer. I don't know what he's doing. It's actually driving me crazy that he's standing up holding his hand up while I'm praying. But, but two days later, he shows up at my office, and he says, hey, I got it. I said, you got what? He said, I got the prayer. I recorded it on Wednesday night. I got it. I learned it, and I memorized it. So if God brings me to that moment again, I'm ready that I'm not afraid, and I'm not awkward, and it's not bad, and, and, and I'm ready. And so, in fact, I was praying during that whole season of, uh, of youth ministry of changing the prayer up, right? And he's like, please don't change it up, right? <laughs> I just got this one. And so I've left it the same. The Holy Spirit used that as a next step for me to, hey, keep it the same and keep it simple. And, and in the process, he, he was able to begin to lead people to Christ. A few weeks ago, a, a, a CEO in our church who I'm becoming friends with, we were sitting down having lunch and he said, hey, you know that altar call uh, prayer thing you do? I said, yeah. He said, I, I wrote it down. I said, good. He said, I, in fact, I write it down every single week. I said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, that's weird. And, and uh, he said, I actually have this digital document that has your standard prayer. And over on the right, I have this thing running gun margin for all the iterations of when you change it up and when you mess it up and when you do it different ways. And, and he said, I've got all these different ways. And so I've got the main formula and I've got all the little nuances to it. I said, that's weird. And, and uh, he, he just said, I think you should put that on a card for people. And I said, why would I do that? And he said, because I talk to people about Jesus all the time, but I don't feel comfortable closing the deal 
is what he said. Because I just get awkward and weird at that moment. But if you just put it on a little card where people could have it, at that moment, they're not anxious about the moment and they're not antsy about the moment. In fact, if they're introverts, they could just hand the card to somebody and go, pray this. And, and, and so we did it today. We put it on a card. I hope you find it helpful. It's in your chair when you came in this morning. Just keep it in your wallet. Just keep it in your purse or have it wherever you want. And so if, if God brings you to that moment, you don't have to get all anxious about that moment. You got a little cheat sheet and a Cliff Notes or a, a, you know some sort of a, a Spark Notes ready to help you at that moment because it's not the words that matter. It's the heart and what's God's doing in the heart. And, and so I want to lay for you on that graphic another graphic that I've shown you before. I've never put them together, but I want you to see the graphics uh, laid on top of one another. And what I want you to see is the incremental steps here. That the big red zero in the middle, that's the moment of faith, okay? That's the moment of salvation. But this negative five means this is an antagonist towards God, and they're moving closer and closer and closer to God. But once you come to Christ, that's not the end of the journey, right? There are steps for you to take in your new journey with Jesus Christ. And that whole thing, that moment, salvation is a moment, but what I want you to see is the whole thing, evangelism, is a process. This whole thing is a process, and I want you to zoom out and focus in on the process because if you've got a friend who's a negative four and they're an atheist or an agnostic towards God, they're not ready for the moment. You understand what I'm saying? They're, they're not ready to pray and to give their lives to Christ. They're not ready to pray uh, a prayer of salvation. But as you talk to them and you discern where they are, you can help them move. And you can help them take one step. And, and, and by the way, for those of you who are already believers, when you cross that faith line, you still have next steps to take too. Right? That kid who was playing ping pong, and, and he, we didn't know that was the moment that he was going to come to know Christ until we started talking to him. Until we started discerning his story and hearing where he was. We didn't know that until that moment, but then we realized we were at that moment. But that kid, Drew Tucker, he had a step to take too. His step was to learn a prayer so that God could use him in ushering people across that faith line, right? I had a next step of, hey, don't change this thing up. You're helping people and keep it simple and keep it clear. And so when we talk about this, I want you to know Paul used this very strategy when he ministered to people and he evangelized people and he planted churches. In fact, take your Bible, turn over. To 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to see how this thing plays out uh, in the life of Paul as he begins sharing uh, these things. In verse 1, uh, Paul is he's writing to a church in Corinth that he planted. And what he's doing is he's plotting where they are on this scale. That's what he's doing. You'll see it as we read it. Look at verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I could not talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to the world or as though you were infants in Christ. Now, this is really interesting but because when you study this and you study Corinth and the church, they were believers. These people were Christians. They had come to full faith in Christ Jesus as Lord. They had crossed that faith line, so to speak, but they set up a camp and stopped. And they weren't taking their next steps and they weren't going through with their next steps. They weren't following through with what was next for them. And they stayed on the step that they were on and they didn't move. And Paul is calling them out on it. Look, look at verse two. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Not, not only had they not moved, they wouldn't move. And here's the point. Your reluctance to take your current step affects your ability to take your next step. 
You need to understand that. You need to understand that spiritual truth clearly. Your reluctance to take your current step will affect your ability to take your next step. And if God is asking you to do something and you refuse to obey him over and over and over and over again, eventually you will get to the place where you can't hear him. And he will say to you, move, and you don't move. And, and he'll repeat, and he'll say, move, and, and you don't move, and, and you don't take the next step, and he'll say, move, 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 move. And eventually you can't hear it. And you're able to block it out altogether. And it gets quieter and quieter and quieter to the point that you've done biblically what, what is called quenching the Holy Spirit. And if you think that you can cross a faith line and then just set up a camp there and refuse to obey and refuse to move and refuse to go to your next step, you will find that your walk with Christ will get slower and slower and slower and less energizing and it will get harder and harder to obey Him and you will get further and further and further behind. And from my experience of watching thousands of Christians' lives over several decades, there's a couple of steps that I see that people by the masses get hung up on. I mean, by the masses, they get hung up at these steps. And the very first one is called baptism. And it's the very first step of obedience after you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? You just heard the story this morning that this family came to Christ on Halloween Sunday and on Easter Sunday, they're going to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. That's the grace of God, right? That's the progress playing out. But, but here's what happens. That some people pray to receive Christ and they say, no, I don't want to get in the water. No, I don't want to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. No, I, I'm embarrassed to do that or whatever the reason may be. And they fail to take that step. And here's what happens. They can't take step number three or four or 12 or 1200, right? Because they're still stuck back there on step number one. The, the same thing. And by the way, if you've not followed the Lord and believers baptism, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday are two of the greatest Sundays in a church calendar for you to do that. In fact, my, my 13 year old Ben, a few weeks ago, he, he came home uh, on a Wednesday night and he, something was up. And the next day when his mom picked him up from school, he got in the car at, at the carpool line, and he had a little tear in his eye, and he said, Mom, i got to tell you something. And she thought, uh-oh, he's in trouble. And he said, hey, I, I asked Jesus into my heart. And I prayed to receive Christ, and, and he said, you know, when I was four, I did that with Dad. I, I remember that kind of, but I don't really understand it, and I didn't really bear fruit with me, and I've been struggling with this for a long time. And Lucas, our, our, one of our youth pastors, was sharing on Wednesday night just a regular service, and, and he got to the gospel, and he said, it just became crystal clear for me that I needed to respond, and I needed to understand what I was doing. And so he nailed his salvation down just a few weeks ago in our youth ministry on a Wednesday night. And, and he's going to follow through with baptism on Easter Sunday. Uh, uh, and so... I just want you to obey the Lord. And, and listen, the second one is tithing, by the way. That's the place where believers get to and they say, hey, I'm not going to trust you with my stuff. I can trust you with eternity. I can trust you with heaven. I can trust you with forever and ever. But I can't trust you with 10% of this little monopoly money we have here on earth, God. And, and what happens to people is all of a sudden he gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And I've watched people cross that line and trust God and, and give. And, and, and then somewhere along the way, they back up and they, you know, they go backwards. And, then they, they, and what happens is, is they really can't hear the voice of God. And the reason they can't hear the voice of God is because it was so clear and they disobeyed. And his voice begins to get quieter and quieter. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, I was, should have been able to give you some real spiritual meat, but you're still sucking on the bottle. 
And and until we decide that that we're going to act in obedience to Jesus Christ, we will never get off the milk. We will never move on to the better stuff. And, And that obedience, by the way, for the life of a child of God, it needs to become automatic and it needs to become immediate. Right? I say to my kids all the time, delayed obedience is disobedience. To which they say, no, it's not, Dad. I said, yes, it is. Because when I ask you to do something, I want you to do it now, and I want you to do it without any backtalk, right? And and, and so if I ask you to go sweep out the garage, I'll answer your 17 questions after you sweep out the garage, right? I don't want to have this conversation while you're fussing about sweeping out the garage. You just obey me, and then we'll talk about whatever it is that you have to do. And if, if you as a heavenly, as an earthly father feel that way, right? The heavenly father who's perfect, who loves you perfectly, has to feel that way at times of, hey, why don't you just do what I ask you to do? I know the beginning from the end. I know all of it, and I know what's good for you. Just obey me. And sometimes we can get confused about next steps, but sometimes we just get disobedient, about next steps. And if we are unwilling to follow the Lord's instruction in our own spiritual life, listen to me, hear me, hear me, hear me. If you are truly moving forward in your faith journey with Christ, then you are going to want to bring others along with you. It's a litmus test of your spiritual maturity. If you're truly growing in your faith with Christ, you're going to want to bring others along. If you're truly committed to following your Lord and Savior in your next steps, then you are going to commit to bring others along on this journey. And you and I need to get back to the place where we are immediately obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. And it is about practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit where we speak to him regularly of Holy Spirit. What do you want me to do today? What, what is my next step in this moment, Lord? What, what, what do you want me to do and what is my step? And sometimes I'll, I'll just hear the Lord say, hey, there's not a big step for you to take today. To which I always respond, okay, give me a little one. Just trust me with a little one because I want to make progress in my journey with you. I want to hear your voice. I am terrified of not obeying you to the point that I can't hear you and I can't discern you and I can't know where you are. I've got to have that. And so, Lord, just give me a small step today. And he get, he's always gracious. Get, uh, this is what I want you to do, right? This is what I want you to take. This is the step I want you to accomplish. And, and he's good about that. And once you and I get in the mode of asking him for next steps, guess what he'll do? He will start putting people in your path who need to take next steps. That's what he'll do. And he will put them in your path and he will perfectly position you where you are instantly obeying him and he will perfectly position you in the path of those that you need to help. And another thing that shuts this whole thing down is anxiety. We get anxious, right? And I call it moment antsy. And that may not be good grammar. It may not be the right words to use at that moment. But I'm just saying, don't get moment antsy. In other words, zoom out and stay focused on the process. We, you get anxious about that one moment and then praying that prayer and then crossing that line and, and it, it will destroy the whole process and it'll destroy what's happening. That's why I gave you that card so you don't have to get antsy about it. You're prepared for that moment and Jesus will lead you to those moments and he'll lead you through those moments and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And as you zoom out and look at the whole process and not just that moment, Paul talks about this very thing, by the way. He, he uses a couple of words plant and water. He uses those words. Look at verse six. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollo watered it. Apollos. 
Apollos watered it. Apollos is one of Paul's ministry partners. He helped start the church in, in Corinth. And, and, but it was God, look what he says, but it was God who made it grow. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God was the one doing the work. Behind the scenes as Paul did his thing, behind the scenes as Apollos did his thing, God was at work from beginning to end in the whole process. Look at verse seven. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And God's role in all of this is vastly more important than my role. God's role in this is vastly more important than your role. Look at verse eight. The one who plants and the one who waters, they work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Our job is not to ensure that someone crosses that faith line. That's God's job. Our job is to plant. Our job is to water. Our job is to scatter the seed and to keep on keeping on and to keep on keeping on. And, and planting, it may mean that you tell someone for the very first time about Jesus. You know, there are people in our world that have never heard the name of Jesus. You know, there are people in our city that, that have never heard uh, uh, about Jesus. And, and planting means that we plant a message of Jesus into their lives and into their heart. To which we say, hey, there was a man and his name was Jesus who really lived on planet earth, but he was unlike any other man because he was God in the flesh. And he lived a perfect life for 33 years, a blameless life. And then he died on a cross for your sin and my sin, but he didn't stay in that tomb. He came back to life and he is now seated next to God, the father at the right hand. And he's coming back one day to get us. And if you've never, ever heard that before today on one of our campuses, you just got brand new information. I want you to know spiritually that you've just receive the word of God. And it has been planted in your heart like a seed today. And if you're here as a child of God and you've never had the opportunity to share that news with somebody, that good news with somebody, I want you to know you can. And you can go planting and you can go seed uh, spreading. And the confusion comes when we think that we're the ones responsible. When, when we think that uh, if we didn't get them to say the prayer, then we haven't done anything. Right, And we're not really evangelizing if we didn't get them to that point. But the truth is we keep planting and watering and God is behind the scenes and he's the harvester and he is the one who does that. And, and sometimes we put ourselves in God's seat. We try to take his job away from him, but he's just asking you and me to take our next step. He's just asking us to listen and to obey and to take the next step. We scatter seed, we plant, we water, and we help others take their next step. And when we get it in our head that we're the ones who are responsible, then we end up becoming salesmen, right? We jump into that sales mindset and it becomes offensive and it becomes weird, like, you know, walking into a furniture store and it just gets freaky, freaky. And when it's supposed to be personal, Right? And it's supposed to be something that is natural. And when we get in a sales mindset, we get offended when somebody slams a door in our face. But if our job is to plant and our job is to water and to scatter seed, then slam doors are not really a problem for us. Right? But because we're not salespeople. People slammed the door in Jesus' face all the time when he walked on planet Earth. When he was walking on Earth, he got doors slammed in his face. The religious slammed the doors in his face. The political people slammed the door in his face. The rich people of his day slammed the door in his face. But he wasn't a salesman. He was a lover of people. And so he wasn't bothered by the slammed door. In fact, there's a man in the Gospels. It's a fascinating story. His name is Nicodemus. 
One day we ought to do a series on this character named Nicodemus. But Nicodemus shows up in John chapter 3 to ask Jesus about his message and about his truth and about who he was. And Nicodemus, we find out, is not just a religious person. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. He's a religious teacher and and, and scribe of the day. And, And when he met him, we see that he went and met Jesus at night so that no one was around and it was dark and nobody would see that he was associating with Jesus. But there was something about this Jesus that he knew was special and he wanted to talk to Jesus. And Nicodemus wanted to talk religion and Jesus refused. Jesus talked new life. And, and the question is, is, well, what had happened in Jesus' encounter? Did he cross that faith line? Did he bow his head and pray the prayer? Did he get on his knees and worship Jesus and say, Jesus, you're right? No, he didn't do any of that. Right? In fact, he slammed the door shut in Jesus' face. When Jesus tried to talk about new birth and being born again and a spiritual birth, Nicodemus' answer was, come on, Jesus. You want me to crawl back in my mom's womb again? That's what you want me to do? Probably the most sarcastic response recorded in the Scripture to Jesus. And I want you to know today, he knew what Jesus meant. He, he knew it. He was scared to accept it. And so he went with sarcasm, and he slammed the door in Jesus' face. But Jesus had planted That's the point I want you to get. Jesus had planted, and now the Holy Spirit is watering. And the next time Nicodemus shows up in the Gospel of John, he's a little more tender than he was before. He's a little less sarcastic than he was before. He went from a negative five to a negative four. And you watch this playing out in the Sanhedrin. The council is meeting to talk about Jesus. And in that story, in John chapter 7, just four chapters after we meet him for the first time, he he challenges the Sanhedrin. And he says, hey, guys, we can't condemn this man to die without a trial, right? He wanted to hear Jesus again. He wanted the whole Sanhedrin to hear Jesus again. I think he was thinking about that seed that Jesus planted earlier. And I think he wanted to hear Jesus again. He wanted the Sanhedrin to hear Jesus again. And we don't know if he ever got that chance to hear Jesus again, but by the end of the story, it's very, very clear. Because he shows up again in John chapter 19, verse 39. There's only 21 chapters in the Gospel of John, so we're really, really near the the end of the Gospel of John. And he finds his way back into the story, and this time he's wrapping Jesus' body for burial. And I'm assuming he did that because he was a follower now of Jesus Christ. In fact, he's closer to Jesus in that moment than the rest of the disciples are. They're not there when when his body is being prepared for burial. And, And Jesus planted the seed. The Holy Spirit watered the seed, but it was God the Father who caused it to grow. And this sarcastic, arrogant religious leader's heart was now softening to the things of God to the point where he eventually recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And he crossed that faith line. And so as we wrap up today in conclusion of this series, I want to give you three things briefly to discern next steps. Okay, I want you to write these down and I want you to ponder these this week and think about them. And this is all about, by the way, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit because he will lead you and he will lead you as he leads you. I want you to pay attention to these three things. Number one, look for the need. Look for the need. Look for areas in their lives where they may have a need. It may be a spoken need. It may be expressed need. It may be a felt need. It may be something simple like a ride to tutoring. You find a need. And by the way, unspoken needs are are more difficult to discern. But you got to know that there are unspoken needs behind the spoken needs. Usually when someone speaks a need, behind every felt need, there's an unfelt absence. And behind every physical pain lies sometimes a deeper spiritual need in their lives. And when you see someone in need, first meet the need if you can. 
Okay? You're building a bridge. You're building trust with that person. But also ask yourself, is there another need behind that need? And if you can discern what that other need happens to be, that's when you really impact people's lives with the gospel. Okay, number two, look for God. You look for God. I, I walk into rooms all the time and say, God, what are you doing here? What, what are you doing in here? What, what, what do you want to say in here? What's happening and how can I join you in it? So look for what God is doing and then find a way to join him in it, right? Ask for an invitation for him to join him in what he is doing. Look, if you are investing in someone's life, I got news for you. God's already there investing. And if you've taken an interest in someone, your heavenly father already has. He is already at work and he's already moving them on this path closer and closer and closer to him. Like I said at the beginning, we just get to a place where we become aware of it. He's already doing it. Just because we're not aware of it doesn't mean he wasn't doing it, right? And that's what it means to discern the Holy Spirit, to listen to the Holy Spirit. So look for cues and clues, right? That's what we're doing all the time. We're looking for cues and clues. What is God doing here? Uh, What's the cue and what's the clue that leads me in this journey? And then you jump in and you find out how you can join God. He wants you to join him. That's a privilege for him to invite you to join him in what he is doing. And God is the God of every day. And he puts you there where you are in your life today. And he perfectly positioned you in, in their life on purpose. And God is active every day, and he wants you to be active every day, right? You don't have to be perfect to be used by God. You just got to be positioned. You don't need a PhD or a degree in Greek in order to talk to somebody about the Bible. It's a personal book. God will help you with that personal book, and the Holy Spirit can show you what it means, right? Anyone can get into that and do that. You you don't need a counseling degree in order to listen to someone talk about their problems. You you don't need a stand-up routine in order to make someone feel comfortable or, or at ease. You don't need to be any richer, any smarter, or any slimmer than you already are. You just have to be you. And God is asking you to be you and to be present in your everyday situations. And he is already there working. And he's waiting for you to join him as you. And God puts you where you are with who you're with for a reason. Here's number three. Look for the next step. Look for the next step. And I know that's obvious, right? We're talking about discerning next steps that you're going to look for the next step. But I want you to look for what is their next step, right? What, what, what do they need to do? And all of us are on a journey with Christ. That's the point. All of us. That's the reason I love our mission statement as a church. That it says we exist to glorify God by helping all people of all ages all the time, what? Advance to advance in their journey with Jesus Christ. And it is about moving people on this scale, right? This way, not this way. We, we want to move people. And by the way, in, in your anxiety, I want you to understand, I never one time have I ever heard somebody's testimony that said somebody tried to love me, somebody tried to help me, somebody tried to share truth with me, and I went the opposite way. And unless you're unbelievably socially inadequate, you, you, you're not going to lead somebody the wrong way by sharing a truth, by giving a touch, by loving on somebody, by helping them in, in their journey with Christ. They, they move forward. It just happens. And so think about your own journey. Who planted the seed in your life? Who, who, who was there watering? How did that happen? Did it all happen at once or was it over the course of time? Your own story of salvation, your own journey with Jesus Christ is the best blueprint that you can use. When you are looking to discern the next steps of other people. Why? Because God puts you on their path. 
And He knows your story. And He knows their story. And He knows more than you know about your story and more than you know about their story. And He will put you perfectly on that person's path. One of our Midtown families, and I'm going to butcher this story because I, I, they didn't tell me the story. I just read it on Facebook. But this physician in our church, he attends Midtown and his wife just went to visit my sister and her husband on the mercy ship in Africa. And uh, the physician's wife is an amputee. She, she has half of an arm. And on that ship, she got to minister to people who were about to lose their arm. And you say, well, that's weird. No, it's not weird. It's God. And he is doing that in that scenario. Why? Because he knows your story and he knows what's going on in you and he knows how to use you. That's why he says with the comfort you have been given, you comfort other people. It's one of the reasons I think the Lord in his grace lets us walk through tough things is so that we can be gracious and comfort people who will walk through tough things things. And we can be the very hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And for some of you here on our campuses today, you're at that place where you're ready to cross that faith line. And you're at that moment. You're here today. Somebody brought you and they're praying for you, right? And they're anxious about praying that, that hey, I pray that they would receive Christ today. And today I want to give you an opportunity to do that because there's some of you under the sound of my voice, the thousands and thousands of people across all these seven campuses today, there are some of you that are ready to cross that faith line. And today is your moment. And today's the day of your salvation. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes all across all of our churches this morning? And I want to lead you in a prayer similar to the one on the card and help you trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I want you to pray it out loud after me. You're going to hear men and women all around you at every campus praying it out loud as well. So right where you're seated, you want to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. I receive you. I receive salvation. Thank you for saving me.